Hello, everyone, and welcome to this, the first episode of the Ideas from Europe podcast. My name's producer Dave, and today for our first episode, we're going to do things a little bit backwards. I'll be interviewing the future host of this podcast, Linda van Dijvenbode. Linda's been working with Ideas from Europe for several years and is leading two of the major activity domains, space wisdom for smart cities and energy storage. So in today's interview, we'll discuss the background of Ideas from Europe and take a deep dive into these two domains to find out more about what Ideas from Europe is doing to help. Over the coming weeks, Linda's going to be sitting down with entrepreneurs, innovators and investors so you can get a better insight into the challenges they're facing and how platforms like Ideas from Europe can bring people together to solve their problems. So without further ado, let's get started on today's episode. Joining me today on the podcast is uh, Linda van Dijvenboda. Linda, you've been uh, working for the Extremely Useful Company for a few years now. Uh, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and the uh, company? Sure, yeah. Thanks for having me here today. Uh, actually, it's not just uh, uh, being involved, but I actually started the company myself in uh, 2015. Um, when uh, I moved to Germany and um, had to decide what I wanted to do, either find employment again. And then I thought, well, I've been toying with this idea of starting for myself. I've been employed for all of my life up to then. And um, yeah, I really liked the idea of, of striking out by myself as a consultant, see how it would go. And um, it's been quite successful. Have you been extremely useful? Uh, it's not for me to say, but I must say that uh, the feedback I get from customers and people I work with is always uh, yes. I mean, initially they kind of giggle at the name and they say, oh, we're extremely useful. That's quite an ambitious name to choose for a company. And then once I've been working with them for a while, they come back and they say, you know, you know what, actually you have been really useful. So, so what, I mean, you mentioned you were a consultant. What exactly does the extremely useful company do and what areas do you consult in? My consultancy is, uh, focused on European policy and programs. I've uh, really al always been involved, uh, in, in European organizations and programs. Um, so that's really where my area of interest is and also my expertise. I've um, worked for a number of years in European space policy, European space agency and EU space uh, strategy and programs. And then I moved to European research and innovation, uh, became involved with Horizon 2020 and the whole negotiation process uh, in Horizon 2020. There's For those of us who don't know, what is Horizon? Uh, Horizon 2020 is the European research and innovation program. So this is where all member states agree with each other that uh, research and innovation is important and um, we need to be able to uh, work across um, member uh, border states with each other. And so this program enables it through um, grants. So it is a grant program. So uh, they ask for proposals in certain domains like health or energy or climate. Um, consortia can be formed with companies, universities, research organizations, NGOs. They can develop and submit a proposal. And if it's been evaluated um, um, high enough, then the, the project is awarded and, and the consortium can start implementing the work. And the idea is that uh, through this joint collaboration, um, we really, we're really able to tackle the challenges that, that Europe and the world faces, not just in, in, in climate change or, or water and energy, but also in, in uh, key enabling technologies like nanotechnology, biotechnology, photonics and pool resources, pool infrastructures and pool the brains, the collective brains that we have in Europe. So I know that you've become recently involved in ideas from Europe. Uh, obviously, this is the subject of this podcast. So since this is the first episode of our podcast, could you give us a bit of background as to what ideas from Europe actually is? Yes. Uh, ideas from Europe is um, one of my, my early uh, projects that I started working on. It was initiated by the Dutch Ministry of Economic Affairs and Climate Policy and the European Commission, DG Grow, which is the DG responsible for industry and entrepreneurship and SMEs. 
It started as an event where we really wanted to highlight uh, entrepreneurship, innovative entrepreneurship uh, in Europe, and particularly the entrepreneurs that are coming up with solutions to tackle today's global challenges. And um, when we did the event, we noticed that the entrepreneurs that came into contact with the audience were really helped um, because companies and the people who are in the audience got engaged with the topic and really started to share the passion and enthusiasm that the entrepreneurs had for their respective domains. Think about healthcare solutions, think about uh, water, think about being able to construct affordably in areas where there are difficulties to get resources and where money is uh, is not available. And those entrepreneurs are able to convey their, their solutions with such passion that they really are able to engage with the audience and the audience really wants to help them. And as it so happened, a lot of the audience were directors and managers in organizations that were able to help them. And so when we saw this happening, we thought, well, this is something we want to continue, not just as an event, but really as a program. And that's how the ideas from your, your program started. So it's a way of bringing together the people with the ideas, with the industry partners and people with, well, let's be honest, the money and the ability to bring an idea to market. Yes, that's how it started. Um, to help individual entrepreneurs and get them into contact and to get their route to market faster, um, to get the investment they needed, to get the strategic partnerships they needed, to get the technology development that they still may need may need it to, to get their solution to the market. But then we also felt that because there were so many similar entrepreneurs out there working on similar objectives and similar solutions. Again, think, think about healthcare, think about cancer treatments, think about personalized medicine. We really saw that there were so many entrepreneurs out there working on those solutions that we said it's, you know, it's nice to help one entrepreneur, but really we need to be able to change the system and, and help a whole group of entrepreneurs or not even help an entrepreneur per se, but help the innovation get to market, help the innovation to scale um, in a way that um, may, may not be uh, successful for one individual entrepreneur and for which we may need to change systems, uh, systems and values and processes. Could you expand a little bit more on what you mean by changing the systems? Yes. So um, one of the early um, domains we started on is personalized medicine. Uh-huh. Now, this is an absolutely brilliant uh, domain because, of course, we have all sorts of treatments and the treatments are aimed at an average person. And typically, this is an average male person within uh, a given age group because that's where the pharmaceutical companies test their solutions. Personalized medicine means that you want to develop something for person A, B, or C and not the average group. So not a statistic average, but a person. And this is a, a field, a medical field that is developing quite rapidly, especially in, in, for example, the area of cancer, cancer treatment. But it's it's hampered, the, the introduction is hampered because the way the medical system works is you need uh, approval from an authority to get onto the market. And if that happens, then, then the, the medical companies or the insurance companies are able to reimburse the patient for that treatment. Until that happens, if you're lucky, you can maybe pay for it yourself, but then it's not reimbursed on, under the medical insurance system. And so, of course, that means that a lot of those innovations will not be introduced into the medical healthcare system. Now, that's a system that's based on, again, the, the statistical testing of averages that, that, that goes into uh, uh, drugs or uh, technical treatments, but it's not suitable for personalized medicine because there is no statistical average because it's you or you or you. And so we found that particularly those solutions had trouble getting to the market, even though there was wide recognition that better healthcare, uh, cheaper healthcare, sometimes even would be possible to allow them 
into the market. And what happens often then, which is a real shame, is that even though the research and development happens here in Europe, the company goes to the US or Asia because there they are able to enter the market much more quickly. And then we lose them here. We lose not only the, the treatment, but we also lose the company. And okay. so that was one of the issues we wanted to tackle. So is that's being tackled by the Ideas from Europe scheme. Uh, are you yes. putting anything in, in place to actually help drive this innovation thoughts? Uh, yes, we, we, we developed a methodology and we call it the value track methodology. And the reason for calling it a value track is because it, it combines uh, profit with purpose. So, you know, it's not, it's not to say that profit is, uh, is not a good thing because of course companies need to be profitable to be able to exist, but it's this change in entrepreneurs, uh, with, uh, who want to have societal impact that profit alone is no longer enough. And they really also want to have a purpose. And so this combination of profit and purpose is really, uh, what drives us and where we no, we need to bring different stakeholders together uh, to make that happen. So you can have the innovative entrepreneur and, and they can say that their, their solution is really well and will really help us. But if the rest of the system doesn't allow them to bring it to market, then nothing happens. So we need to bring together those people in the market that have the ability to make the changes. So it could be a legislator, could be an investor, could be a, a corporate who has access to the market, who has a more of a cloud than, than the individual entrepreneur, the smaller company can, can bring, uh, bring together. Um, and so what we do is systematically uh, track technology. We systematically validate. So it's not that if an entrepreneur says to us, well, my, my idea is the best ever, that we say, okay, well, pff, you know, that's great. Let's go and help here's you. Some money. Yeah. Here's some money. Let's go and help you. We, we then really see, okay, if he's working on it, then most likely others are also working on it. And can we, can we bring those together? So personalized medicine or the area I'm working in uh, energy storage solutions, you see that a lot of entrepreneurs see the opportunity and start working on it. And so we bring them together and say, Hey guys, you, you have similar solutions, what would help you bring them to market? And then they give signals. So they say, well, first of all, we need this reimbursement system to change. And then we can go to the, to the authorities that are responsible for the reimbursement system or for, um, allowing technology to enter the market. And we say, well, we have here 100, 150 entrepreneurs working on similar solutions. And they all say to us that this reimbursement is critical for them to go to market. What is your role in this and what's your perspective on this? And they may say, well, yeah, we, we recognize that a lot of solutions are being developed, but our system is such that we need, we need them to test it on a cohort of statistically relevant group in order to prove that their technology or their drug is. If that's a personalized individual product, you can't test it. Exactly. Exactly. So then we have to get the, the the medical experts involved who can can sit around the table with the reimbursement authority and say well we recognize that this is an issue <laughs> however we we also need this into our uh, hospitals we need this into into our practices what what do we need to do to solve this problem and then we bring on board the insurance companies and because they're, they're the ones who need to in, be able to include it in their offering to their customers, the, the patients at the end of the day who are paying the premiums and buying the insurance uh, from them. And they need to say, we, we want to include this in our insurance packages. What do we need to do? We, you know, we recognize this is valuable. We recognize this could help the patient and even save money. What do we need to do? And so we we validate, we collect data, we validate it with all sorts of different stakeholders in that system. And then slowly but surely, we need to change the mindset. We need to change ultimately practices, protocols, uh, processes to get the changes in place. It's a long process. But ultimately, we need to break it down into small, actionable steps that people can take together if they agree that this is a worthwhile purpose and then take those steps together. Okay. So it certainly sounds like uh, you've, you, the value track for personalized medicine is quite 
should we say, well thought out. But which value tracks are you uh, personally involved in? Because you're not involved in personalized medicine. No, no. Uh, personalized medicine will will uh, do a range, a series of podcasts uh, on personalized medicine as well. My my topics are energy storage. Uh, so I'm the lead for energy and my focus is on energy storage or energy flexibility, if you will, uh, in the, in the, in the energy system uh, as part of the energy transition. And the second one is uh, space wisdom for smart cities. So I run two at the moment. Uh, and how many value tracks are there in total? I know mean, it could be hundreds. But- yeah, yeah, yeah. We wish. I mean, it's all manual labor at the moment. So uh, we do it, well, it's person hours. Yeah. Uh, so of course there's, we are a small team and so there's a, there's a limit to what we can manage at the moment. We are, we have running personalized medicine and energy storage, and we're looking at space wisdom for smart cities. And we're looking at, uh, green packaging oh. and, um, possibly water. And there is a, a like a, an overarching topic, which we, we call from venture to impact. Uh, and that's all to do with the investment climate that also needs to change from like more prof- looking at profit, uh, evaluating profit, return on investment to also taking into account the, the environment um, uh, and societal and governance indicators or the sustainable development goals that um, that really society is now looking lo- looking for also from investors. So the, the value track is certainly is growing over time as you get more and more procedures and tooling in place and the network is built out and more and more people come on board. Yes, ideally. I mean, we're even trying to automate the process that we now do manually. So the, the technology search, so if we identify or if if one of our customers as it were which is which are the the respective governments identify topics that are of interest to them in this case it was renewable energy for example for me they say well we we see energy energy transition as a, as an important societal issue how can the value track be used to accelerate uh, entrepreneurship in that domain uh, of course energy is, is way too big to start. So you need to narrow it down, have a focus. Where do we see that people have a shared focus, have a shared interest? It could be hydrogen, for example, green hydrogen, where we are trying to uh, create a new energy carrier. Green hydrogen, as opposed to regular hydrogen? (laughs) As opposed to gray. Well, yes, as opposed to regular hydrogen, which is now made from fossil fuels. Okay. And green hydrogen is made from renewables. Okay. So, because I was hoping you could, you, you mentioned earlier that you were involved in the value track on energy storage. I was yeah. hoping, could you drill into that a little bit and tell us yes. what's going on in that value yeah. track for energy storage? Yeah. So when we started to look at energy and we needed to narrow it down, uh, we did some research and we came to uh, storage and then we did a search. Who is working on energy storage? Is this an area that people are working on solutions? We found some 130 uh, entrepreneurs mm-hmm. working on storage solutions. So then you know that there is some some energy there. So, you know, people are seeing the opportunity because otherwise they wouldn't start developing solutions for it. And when, when you say energy storage, are we talking about batteries here or? Uh, well, battery is probably the best known, but hyd- hydropower is storage. And there, there are known sources of energy sources have been around for a long time battery the lithium ion battery is certainly one of them but because people so saw the need for energy storage with more and more renewables coming on stream so the issue with renewable energy as opposed to fossil energy is that it's more difficult to switch on and off i mean if you have a a gas power plant it's running and as long as you feed gas into it uh, you can turn it into heat or electricity and that's easy to do so it's easy to to also regulate for for changes in supply and demand with renewables is different because the sun shines during the day when do you need heat or energy when people come home and start cooking start charging their cars start heating their houses right so the 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 supply and demand of renewable energy is different in terms of hours in the day but also in seasons uh, so we needed new solutions to um, to be able to store the energy from wind and sun while it wasn't needed so that we have it available when it is needed. 
So although the battery is probably still the best known also for car automotive, of course, uh, is a big user of batteries. You see now that research organizations and entrepreneurs are working on all sorts of new solutions to make it safer, to make it cheaper, to make it able to carry energy for longer periods of time. So you see mechanical solutions like gravity or flywheels. Mm -hmm. We see new types of battery coming on, like a flow battery instead of a Lion, which is bromium and hydrogen. Okay, new, t- new chemistry. So new chemistry and, and so electrochemical, chemical, mechanical solutions are being developed. And uh, initially, typically the cost is too high, but as development goes on and uh, as, as companies are able to find cheaper materials or cheaper processes, the cost comes down. So that's, that's what we mean when we talk about energy storage and, and why energy storage is needed. Okay. So it's to balance, it's balance this, uh, this supply and demand. So as we make the shift towards more renewable energy, yes. we'll be able to use these to smooth out yeah. the peaks in demand. Yeah. So the grid, the electricity grid that we have at the moment where known sources feed in, coal, mm. pa- coal plants, gas plants, they need to, obviously they're going to be switched off over the coming years and 2030 and 2050 we have steep uh, climate uh, targets so they will need to be switched off the amount of renewable energy needs to increase dramatically and what we're already finding now is that the location of where renewable energy is being generated is not always the best place to feed them into the grid and so already we see that uh, permits to build for example, solar parks here in the Netherlands, in certain areas like the Northeast, there's already what we call net congestion. So the congestion literally means like the same with the road. So if you have too many cars on the road and the roads become congested with energy, it's the same. If you have a lot of uh, supply from, from solar panel during the day, because it's a warm day and your grid can only take a certain amount of that, then the rest of that uh, solar energy has to be well, literally thrown away because right. you can't use it. You can't, it, it cannot get to the grid because the grid's full. Right. And if there's no storage to temporarily at least store that solar energy, then, the, then, then whoever owns that uh, solar park just has to get rid of it. And of course, that's not what we want because we want more renewable energy. So we, we can certainly see that these storage solutions are going to become more and more important over the coming years. Yes. So where does the value track for energy storage come involved in this? Yes. Well, what we saw is that there are a lot of entrepreneurs developing these solutions. We spoke with uh, uh, energy companies and grid companies and all of them you can see in their programming and in their mission statements that energy storage is important. And yet when you talk to them, a lot of them say, well, uh, our grid here in the Netherlands is still quite robust. Um, so it's the urgency isn't there yet. The cost of storage, which of course is an added cost on top of what they to normally is too high still for mm-hmm. them to invest in. The way that the energy system was deregulated, so the deregulation of the energy system meant that the generation of, of energy, the transport of energy, and the sales of energy have been split into different companies. And the reason for that is that it allowed more competition on the market, which was good for consumers as it drove the price of energy down. So that's a good thing. However, in uh, in this current situation, um, now we have to move to a different energy system. We find that it's no longer so clear cut who is then responsible for energy storage. Because who is responsible for storage? Is it the whoever generates the, the energy? Is it whoever owns the grid that transports the energy? Right. Well, the, the, the companies that, uh, that run the grid, so the grid operators, by law, they're not allowed to own storage capacity. Because oh, really? stor- storage capacity is one of those things where, where you can move into this gray area that if you are not allowed to generate or distribute energy as a grid company and you have a storage facility, 
does that does that then move you into the markets you're not allowed to operate in anymore? Because all of a sudden you're selling or distributing energy or you're are you generating energy if you store it temporarily and then release it again? Right. Yeah, I see. So there's this legal uh, situation that the grid company who could possibly be the most logical company to buy storage because it's their grid that is now no longer able to accept renewable energy. Uh, legally, they're not allowed to, but they can buy storage capacity. So they can buy it from a private company. However, they say it's not, the business case for them isn't there yet. Okay. So we've got a group of people who should be storing the energy who are legally not allowed to, and there's no business case for them to do it. Yeah. The companies that are generating the energy, are they looking at uh, storage solutions or are they just trying to sell it as fast as they can make it? They, they, they could buy storage and I think they probably will and probably will have to. But for them, it's the same thing. If if one energy company uh, has to invest in storage capacity mm-hmm. and it makes their energy more expensive compared to their competitor who's not doing it, why would they do it? Okay. Because they already have access to the grid anyway. And it's the fact that there is too much energy in, in a sense is almost not their problem. So whose problem is it and who needs to solve it? So I organized a session uh, a few weeks ago in October and brought together two trade associations, Energy Storage NL and Dutch Power, who represent industry developing solutions. I had two individual entrepreneurs. I had one of the grid operators in the Netherlands, uh, an investor, a, a, a Dutch promotional bank. And the words that that were said probably most often in that session were chicken and egg, chicken right. and egg. <laughs> we're we're in a chicken and egg situation here. But is this something that legislation could help with to crack the egg? Possibly, possibly. But we know that uh, at the moment, the legislator in the Netherlands, which is the Minister of Economic Affairs, the same one who started the Ideas from Europe program, but then not entrepreneurship, which is Ideas from Europe, but uh, energy department, mm-hmm. they have developed legislation taking a liberal liberal liberalization approach so market deregulation opening the market for competition and they say the market allows storage the legislation right. allows storage and it's up to the market to do it but we've sort of seen in numerous markets that if you leave it until the market is ready it's always too late yes and our 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 concern was like we have seen in a sense, also with the, the personalized medicine case and many other cases, even here in the Netherlands, we had the same with wind energy and solar energy, where Dutch industry invested uh, in R&D to become a leader. And then because of policy changes, the area was no longer deemed a priority. And so investment and government investment fell away. The expertise disappeared. And as a result, the Netherlands is no longer a market leader in uh, wind energy, which, you know, given our, given our history is something you would expect. Mm. Now, where we did it right is in uh, uh, car charging. So the Dutch industry and the, the net operators came together quite early to start this foundation, to share knowledge on charging infrastructure with a real focus on standardization and uh, protocols. And as a result, the Netherlands is now seen as a leader in terms of uh, charging standards and charging infrastructure. And you see a lot of companies as a result in that market and being able also to export. So yes, our, our concern when we started looking at the areas that we would have the same with energy storage and energy flexibility. Everyone knows it's needed. Everyone knows it's coming. And of course, all countries have similar problems. We hear the same from Germany, where also um, new uh, renewable energy projects are cancelled or the investors are stepping back uh, because they don't see they have access to the grid system. And if you don't have access to the grid system, then you can't sell your energy. So uh, that's an issue there. And our concern was also that we see now a lot of industry developing expertise and coming up with really interesting solutions. If we don't create a home market for them, are they just going to move away? Are they going to move to areas where they are able to enter the market? 
and uh, and and lose the the business, uh, but also the expertise and the export capability, and that comes with it. So that's also really, and that's also why uh, we approach it now more from uh, entrepreneur perspective than the energy transition perspective. So how can we help the entrepreneur? Uh, if the energy legislation is not working in their favor, it's like a GPS. We, we try and create a, a GPS. So if you find that your route to market, the, the one you are planning to follow, doesn't work because there is construction yeah. and, and the road is blocked, can we, with the, the coalition of the willing, can we create new roads? Can we create uh, new routes for those companies? So can we bypass the legislator in this case uh, by bringing together enough of the relevant stakeholders from, from investment, from energy company, from grid company to the entrepreneurs and see if we can create business cases or like stacking business cases in such a way that it is possible for some of these uh, companies to to buy the capacity from from the entrepreneurs it really is about finding alternative routes to market to avoid some of the ingrained and entrenched positions yes. that are there to prevent yeah. newcomers from yeah who uh, is involved in this uh, value tracking? I mean, you've mentioned uh, a few entrepreneurs, but do you have anyone in particular that you've been working with closely? Uh, yeah. So, um, of course, we're called Ideas from Europe. So ideally, we would always do something in international context. But, uh, well, we find a this European international. a European international context. Uh, but in this case, it proved more productive and more to get more focused to just keep it to the Dutch market. Okay. So in we at the moment we have involved the two trade or, uh, associations I mentioned already. So that's Energy Storage NL. There they were set up by I think some seventy members or so of um, FMA. FMA is uh, an industry association of the technical industry here in the Netherlands. And Dutch Power, which again is also some 70 to 80 members from the electricity sector. Dutch Power is more aimed at exchanging knowledge and expertise amongst the members. Uh, and they have a working group on energy storage as well. So they're the two big groupings that have a lot of industry behind them. Mm -hmm. There were two entrepreneurs. So one of them was uh, Quintec Energy. Quintec has developed a flywheel storage technology based on Boeing technology and they're licensed to bring that to market okay. and uh, manufacture it here in the Netherlands. And the second one is Elestor. Uh, Elestor is a flow battery storage solution. And then we had um, Aliander. Aliander is one of the Dutch uh, energy companies. Uh, so they, they run one of the uh, regional grids. The way the situation is in the Netherlands is that we have a national grid operator and that's called Tenet. And they are also responsible for international um, links in the network. Mm -hmm. And then we have some uh, about five or so regional uh, op operators and Aliander is one of them. Okay. Uh, so we had someone from uh, from Aliander representing that side of the market. So basically they, they, they represent the, the ones the entrepreneurs would like to see buy the solutions. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're the ones saying, well, we, the, the business case just isn't there for us yet. But our see the need in the future and are, are willing to work with uh, the investors and the, and the trade associations and the entrepreneurs to, to find the business cases. Uh, and then there were, oh yeah, there was someone from uh, InvestNL. InvestNL is uh, the Dutch promotional bank. It was set up not that long ago as, uh, as a prom Dutch promotional bank. So that means it's a public bank, not a private bank. It has money from the government. Uh, and it's it's uh, it was set up to support the energy transition. So they look for bankable cases um, where they can top up investment or co-invest again to to bring energy projects further. And they're looking into the energy storage market as well at the moment and trying to collect knowledge and 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 uh, create those business cases that we're looking for. So and then we had. It's yeah. almost about incubating uh, these ideas and the markets until such time they're ready to fly on their own and to try to stop them from being effectively taken away from Europe and taken to America or Asia. We can give the market a little bit more time to mature 
within Europe. Yes, yes, right. yeah. Time to mature. But if you if you if you just say, well, it's time, and we'll just wait, then we know uh, it's not going to happen fast enough. Right. And so, ideas from Europe is accelerating. Our our aim is to accelerate because okay. because we know we need it. Mm -hmm. We know we know. People want it. The, so the, the purpose is there. Uh, we know that there are solutions available, and we can't wait for the for the for the puzzle to to fall together automatically. Right. Because if we do, then then it's not fast enough. I mean, we need speed. Certainly, the energy transition, but healthcare is similar. So it's it's also about acceleration. Okay. Just coming back to something you mentioned earlier, we've talked obviously a lot about the value track for energy storage, but you mentioned the second value track you were starting, the space wisdom for smart cities. Yes. Sounds a bit sci-fi. <laughs> yeah. Could you, yeah. What, what's all that about then? Yeah. So um, this is where I try to bring together the two worlds I work in. So I have more or less a fixed partnership with Ideas from Europe program, which is uh, by the way, run by a Sustainable Scale-Up Foundation. And I also have uh, a background in space and space consultancy, space technology. Um, so I've been involved for many years in consultancy. So market research, program evaluation, project evaluation for uh, the European Commission and European Space Agency, looking at developing and now kind of running and implementing the the big programs uh, which is copernicus which is earth observation so that's satellites looking at earth uh -huh. monitoring the earth and collecting all sorts of data about the environment the land use changes um, air quality climate very important for climate models and second one is galileo which is uh, the the european equivalent of europe the US GPS, so positioning, uh, navigation, and uh, accurate location mm -hmm. uh, determination. So I have a, uh, also a fixed partnership there with a foundation that's called Dot Space Foundation, and that's part of the Noordwijk Space Campus in Noordwijk here in the Netherlands. That's been uh, that's currently being developed, and Dot Space is a foundation that tries to bridge the expert knowledge that is available on the one hand. So in research organizations or companies that know about interpreting these uh, images that you get from satellites, right. which are, are big files, but need a lot of interpretation, need a lot of uh, verification in order to turn it into information that is actionable by uh, companies, energy companies, drink water companies, or public authorities. And, and the, again, the market, so what we spoke about before, a similar situation that the market for these new applications seems obvious. I mean, we are having to cope with uh, very different uh, weather patterns like extreme drought or extreme rainfall, wind is uh, is is getting more erratic and uh, as climate change kicks in we we know we can expect more of it so even climate zones are shifting and as a result biodiversity in agriculture uh, are also being affected and earth observation data can help us understand what goes on okay. uh, much more clearly and yet it's difficult for those services and 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 products to to get to the market so that's the space wisdom. That's the knowledge yeah. that's coming from space. But yeah. the second power is smart, smart cities. cities. Yes. Smart cities is a development that's also, well, you know, you can say one of those buzzwords in, in Europe in the last few years as urbanization increases. So more and more people live in urban environments, in cities. Those cities need to be able to juggle resources much more efficiently and effectively because there's just more of us there and so we need to uh, have more um, have smarter logistics because food needs to come into the city um, people are moving around so we need to uh, get more effective uh, transport systems mm -hmm. whether it be uh, well self-driving cars or uh, different forms of public transport or uh, electric steps on the pavement energy systems will become De more decentralized. So what you see now, again, as part of the whole energy decentralization system, you see areas or um, neighborhoods that, that are starting to deal with their own 
energy supply uh, and demand. So uh, you get uh, local cooperatives where households can generate their own electricity and share it amongst themselves. Like if they own a solar park or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it will be possible uh, for you if you have solar panels on your roof, not to feed it back into the grid, but to sell it as it were to your neighbors who or may store not it maybe you know or store it yes so home storage is also one of those areas that is coming up uh, as is the car as a as a multifunctional um well instrument really so uh, an electric car can of course take energy from the system but if there's energy stored in your car and you don't need it in the next few days and the electricity company says to you oh, um, we expect to be short of energy uh, tomorrow night because there's a big football match and we expect people to have lots of beer in the fridge and keep opening and closing the fridge uh, or putting the kettle on. Can we take that energy back from your car battery? Then again, that's another form of temporary storage where, where you as a car owner all of a sudden are an electricity seller battery yeah but you're all of a sudden then you are becoming well what in jargon is called the prosumer so you're not just consuming anymore as a household or as an individual you you're also producing you're producing your own energy and you could store it for your own purposes you can sell it to your neighbors or you could sell it back to the electricity grid and so you get a, a very different a set of interactions, like peer-to-peer interactions. And so it's possible in the future my car will just drive off by itself one evening to go and charge up a hospital somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Outstanding. Yeah, yeah. But, why but not? How does that bring us back to, you, you, you mentioned space wisdom. Yes. So we've got space wisdom. lots of yeah. satellites taking lots of pictures, gathering lots of yeah. information, information. about the city. Yeah. Which we then feed into city planners, or well, that's 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 kind of again the chicken and egg we're we're looking for. So we know that there is all this data that tells us what's happening in cities. Like we know that big cities like Paris and Milan are really struggling in summer with urban heat spots. You can see them from space very very easily, and then if you know where they are and when they are you can deal with it. You can uh, uh, warn people to stay away from it. You can make it greener uh, so that there's less buildup because concrete keeps heat and starts reflecting it. And so it has a... Yes, I seem to recall something about this in in Paris. Uh, They were measuring temperatures in park areas in the center of Paris were six, seven degrees cooler. Cooler. Yeah, then then in uh, exactly and in built up areas. So we know that the data is there that can help us tell where the problems are at at a particular time, because that's another thing you need to know. We know that cities need to become smarter because um, there's also less money to go around for more services that they need to deliver. And so the question is, how can we deliver this space wisdom to smart cities? And we have the same situation like in other new markets. So if the market doesn't know yet that this new service exists, or it has kind of heard about it, but doesn't want to be the first one, because you know, what if it doesn't work as promised on the box? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is my risk? So cities are reluctant to, to be the first to buy these services. They may not necessarily fit in to their current operational services. They may not have a budget for it at the moment. Okay. And so the, the question is similar to the other tracks we're working on. How can we bring the, that information to the city officials in such a way that they can play with it, they can test it, they can demonstrate it. It can be standardized in a particular way. The The quality is, is validated by authorities that are known. Uh, here in the Netherlands, we have uh, for example, TNO, which is uh, for environmental uh, purposes, uh, uh, verification office. So they will, if someone, if I, if if a car manufacturer says, "Well, my engine is clean and there are uh, you know no uh, particles being emitted," then TNO will will take that car, will test it, and will uh, verify so the claims. So similar to German tooth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the, you need to verify the claim that that a company makes. Uh, independently Mm. uh, uh, to be able to know that what they say is actually true. So all those processes we need to go through, 
public authorities also have um, to deal with public procurement rules. So a company can buy uh, whatever they like from whoever they like. That's not true for public authorities. There are rules in Europe, the uh, public procurement directive that stipulates that public authorities must follow certain procedures to, uh, to create a fair market. So it's not like, you know, city official can buy from uh, their cousin, but they have to have an open and transparent process. Right. Uh, and so it's also a, a question of um, teaching them how to include new services, innovation in their uh, tender procedures. Tender procedures, of course, get written. For example, if you're a city and, and you need, um, I don't know, road building then you probably have a set of tender instructions that you use time and again because you know it works. And if you want to have a new road built, then you go to a couple of known construction companies and you say, well, this is what I want. Mm -hmm. Of course, that means that if a company uh, comes up with something new, then that tender so doesn't allow for it. They're automatically excluded. They're automatically excluded or there is no benefit Right. Uh, in the tender procedure for this company. And so uh, then you get into the situation that investing in research and development to come up with innovation is discouraged mm -hmm. uh, because if you're not rewarded for it, why would you do it? If you know that your customer just wants the same thing year in, year out, pff, that's fine with you. So this value track is all about trying to, well, both value tracks seem to be trying to sort of break up some of the entrenched ideas to try and force open the market for new innovative yes. products. Yeah. Okay. Who, yeah. Who's actually involved in the uh, space wisdom for smart cities? <laughs> space wisdom. So I tried to bring together uh, people from the diff this different worlds because, of course, it's no no use just talking to the people who agree with each other. So if I bring people from the space sector together, then of course they would all agree that what they do is super, super useful and cities should just buy it. Uh, so it's really necessary in this case to bring people together from different worlds. Mm -hmm. So I brought together people from, um, well, Viasat, and that's a big uh, communication, satellite communication company. So they provide internet access via satellite, but um, they're also now creating more hybrid internet services. So using uh, standard ground-based uh, okay. internet and satellite communication. And they're investing in a new um, constellation with three new satellites that will give them global coverage. And they're interested in smart cities because of course smart cities are uh, IT driven cities. So there's a lot of data needed in smart cities and interoperability and protocols and, and standards. Space Campus Nordwijk, yeah. so they're the cluster or the hub that is developing uh, a virtual and a physical campus uh, uh, here in the Netherlands. The Space Business Incubator, this is the European Space Agency's incubation center in Nordwijk, that's for startup companies. Mm -hmm. uh, Dot Space, so the organization I work with, um, to develop uh, user uh, applications and 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 increase user understanding of satellite data and satellite services, mm -hmm. the technology partnership. That's someone who works in the in smart city environment uh, with autonomous robots. So no. yeah, so they're trying to develop autonomous robots. For example, autonomous waste bins. Who can? So when my waste bin is full, it goes and drives itself back to the depot and empties itself. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, uh, and and I they think I remember that from the Jetsons back yeah. in the 1970s. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think they're testing it now in Scheveningen on the boulevard, and they they have a, an autonomous vehicle running in Estec, which is the uh, uh, the space agency site here in Nordwijk, European Space Agency site in Nordwijk, where they're testing with one of those self-driving autonomous vehicles ah. to uh, for transport. Then there is, uh, again, a, a freelance entrepreneur locality uh, who is involved in uh, Smart City Marketplace, which is a European Commission-initiated marketplace at European level to do something similar that we are trying to do here in the Netherlands, namely bring a su uh, supply and demand uh, together uh, to see if you can create new markets uh, for innovation and, okay. uh, oh yeah. And, and, um, 
Eurizi. Eurizi is a European organization, non-profit uh, organization that was set up by some uh, space organizations, again, to do something similar as uh, DotSpace, namely to bridge the gap between the, the experts in the, in the satellite sector with the downstream, the market uh, users and applications. So the value track is all about bringing together supply the idea, the people who would use the idea and the people who might regulate and buy the ideas all together into one area so that you can think together or act. It's, it's not a trade group. Is no, it's not a trade group. It's, uh, it's not a lobby group. Of course, you can say, well, bringing together people in meetings or projects or plans, that's not super new. Um, yeah. That happens all the time. What we try to do is uh, is bring together initially a small group of people. So that's what we did in Space Wisdom for Smart Cities to see if we can create a joint understanding of where we want to go. So do people agree that there is a value in satellite services in smart city environments? And if so, can we create a collective business case? So how do you make it interesting so that everyone wins and everyone benefits? Um, and, and that's, I think, where the, the challenge is, because, of course, you know, people sign a climate agreement and then we say, OK, we're all in agreement that we need to act against climate change. Well, yeah, at a macro level, we do. But of course, who acts and who acts first? And that's where then often it's stalled. So what we try and do is drill down to where we think we see that there is enough of this shared purpose uh, or shared benefit to bring people together. And then, as you say, to, to start acting. So what are what is the level at which you can start acting together? And at all stage, we... We want to be based on evidence, based on data. So it's not because I say that energy storage is important, that energy storage is important. It's because the European Commission reporting says it's important. It's because lots of energy agencies say it's important. It's because the industry are de developing solutions for it. It's the investors say it's important. Right. And they, they together provide the the evidence that it is important. And then when we've drawn that conclusion that it is important, how do we then take it forward? Because even then, it doesn't mean that the business case is automatically also there. So how do we then go from this shared purpose to a shared collective business case? Okay. Well, Linda, that brings us to pretty much the end of today's uh, podcast. This is going to be the first in a series of podcasts, and I hope in the future, not only will you come back on as a guest, but you might actually take on some of the podcasts and interview some of the people you've been talking about today so that we can really drill into these smart cities. And I'm particularly interested in this self-driving rubbish bin. <laughs> um, See when the prototype comes out. Yes, looking forward to it. So, Linda, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. What a great start to the series that was and a fantastic interview, if I do say so myself. We'll be back again next week with our next episode, where Linda will be sitting down with Klaas Ackerman. He's the co-founder of Greener Power Solutions, and they're going to be talking about, amongst other things, energy storage. If you'd like to be notified when the next episode's available, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast in your podcast app and we'll send it straight to you. But that's all for this week. I've been producer Dave. Thank you for listening and I'll see you again next week.